and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today's show, we are joined by Ilsa Wolf, a property investor and renovations coach from Opus Accelerate. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the five biggest mistakes on any renovation project and how to avoid them. Now, people have been asking this for a while, and so I've got Ilsa on the show to talk about it. So Elsa, talk to us about number one. What's one mistake that people always make on a renovation project? The first thing that came to mind for me here is assuming that one change can be made in isolation. What you can quite commonly find is during the renovation, especially in the first couple of days, your builder will call up and say, hey, I see that there's a small leak around the shower. Would you like us to upgrade the fittings and replace the shower? And if you weren't planning to upgrade the full bathroom, for whatever reason, it's very difficult to change one item, especially if it's obsolete or really old, and not understand the knock-on effects that that can often bring when you say yes. So for example, the builder might say, look, a new shower tray is going to cost you about $500. It'll be about half a day of labor. So you might assume about $1,000. But what happens if when they pull out the shower, you find that the old wall linings are ruined or water damp? Upon seeing that a builder is obligated to replace that framing, replace that material, that sometimes can equate to a lot more work than you initially said yes to. Okay. So why do people keep making this mistake though? It would be a really common one to make if you weren't familiar with the renovation process already. So if it's your first renovation and you think it's a simple yes or no question, and if the builder hasn't really explained that there may be some other materials that need to be replaced if they find they're damaged behind the walls, or to even explain that, hey, look, the bathroom walls are serotone, you know, some other kind of material that if we're going to put a new shower insert in, we also need to finish it. And there are always little add-ons and work or material that need to come with it. It's probably a lack of understanding the process, but also not having it explained in full. And what happens if people make that mistake of not understanding that you can't just change one thing in isolation? What's the cost of that mistake? The cost of that is that depending on the other materials that are in the bath, in this case, the other materials that are in the bathroom surrounding how that shower has been installed, it may be as much as needing to re-jib the walls at the extreme end of that because getting the shower to retrofit into a certain cavity or space might be difficult without having to re-jib the walls. That then implicates jib, a jib stopper or plasterer. Then you need to consider tiling or painting. And also, if there has been a bit of rot around it, you may find that the flooring doesn't quite align or you need to look at some extra finishes or extra materials to integrate that shower back into its its old environment. So it could end up costing you two to three times what you originally anticipated. And like I say, if there is rot, which is really common when you're looking at, you know, a 30 or 40 year old shower box, that can be a little extra work as well. So how do you avoid that though? So how do you avoid buying something where you're assuming you can change one thing and and it changes a lot of other things? When your builder calls with a question like that, you should ask questions in return. So it's really important to say, okay, well, what else could you find with this? Is there anything I should be aware of? What are the other consequences if we pull that shower out and it is a room like a bathroom where water is involved, there could very easily be an old leak. What is the potential extent of the cost if you find how far that water damage could have gone? It would even be worth asking them, what do they usually find if they do this task? And then you need to decide if you have enough contingency in your budget to account for it. So asking questions and feeling informed rather than simply saying a yes or no. 
Because also throughout that one renovation project, you might have half a dozen questions like that. If you say yes to all of them, you can quickly get up to five, six thousand dollars. What's mistake number two? Mistake number two is not staying on top of quotes and invoices through to the end of the renovation. So we touched on about making sure you always seek a written estimate or quote to make sure you're on the same page and to make sure you know whether you were talking excluding or including GST. When you get caught up in the renovation and it moves so quickly once you start, it's like a tsunami. And once it starts, you have to go along with it and any kind of hold up is time and money, right? So it's very easy to start off all enthusiastic and log every receipt, log every item that you're purchasing as part of the renovation. But keeping on top of each tradie in your power team to make sure that they are invoicing regularly, either at each stage. So for an electrician, it might be first stage, then pre-wire and then final fix. Understand when you should expect those invoices. For builders, sometimes it could be weekly or fortnightly progress payments. You need to hold them accountable to that so that you can accurately and timely manage your budget. The cost of that can be huge if you're not keeping on top of sort of time stamped costs. And how do you avoid that, Elsa? So agree what the timing is for invoicing with each of your tradies and make sure you hold them to that invoicing so that you can manage your budget. The risk is that if you don't do that and you are suddenly hit with a deluge of invoices at the end, it's very difficult at that point to start to challenge work that was done if you have a question about how much effort or time was put in when you're not able to look at regular time slots looking backward. Okay, okay. So number one was assuming that you could change one thing in isolation. Number two is staying on top of quotes and estimates. What's number three? What's the third biggest mistake that people make? Not checking with counsel before taking on a certain scope that you want to. So say, for example, adding a half bathroom or a second toilet and just assuming you can do it in Auckland because in Christchurch you had consent or you had an exemption and then just applying the same rules to a different district plan where you actually don't know or haven't checked. And how do you avoid that, Elsa? Always talk to the council. So whether it's the building team or the planning team involved in that design or that change to the floor plan, you need to make sure that you are adhering to the rules and the local district. The reason why this is so important right now is that many districts are undergoing district plan and intensification changes. You might find that that district is either in a period of transition or has a proposed new plan, but it's not in effect yet. So the rules are actively changing right now. And it is your job to make sure you pick up the phone or write them an email and get clarity. Don't just assume and rely on your interpretation of a document you've read. And what happens if people don't do that? What's the cost of that mistake? A couple of costs. The first one would be that in future, when you go to sell the property or potentially even rent it and a property manager picks up on the mismatch between the approved plans and what you have on site, it causes more issues for you trying to sell that property because the next owner doesn't want to take on the burden of having to correct it and get a certificate of acceptance. That is becoming more and more difficult to do. And the other risk of that is that you may have a very astute tenant who picks up on that discrepancy and then takes you to the tenancy tribunal to reclaim rents for the period that you had unconsented works for. And it's just not even worth the risk. And actually one of the ones that I'm just thinking about as well is what about insurance? If you don't have consent, you probably don't have appropriate insurance or, or your insurance company might not pay out in the event of a claim. What's mistake number four, Elsa? Shortcutting a quality job just to get the cheapest option in the short term. This is one I see all the time and it is so tempting. I've definitely been guilty of it in the past and I've paid for it as well. 
don't just simply opt for the cheapest fitting. It's very tempting to do because with online shopping and huge retailers around, you can easily pick up something that's super on trend and find it at the cheapest bargain bin price and still look trendy. But the risk is that if you've bought either a faulty product or an inferior product, just be warned that not every plumber or electrician is going to warrant their name for the work associated with that fitting. And also, yeah, exactly uh, what you said about insurance, even in this instance, you might find that you're not insured. So just be very careful. What we're finding is that our tradespeople are actively telling us we don't want to work with product from this retailer or from this brand because we've found that items are turning up damaged or they're not even level. So trying to install a toilet that isn't even level to the ground, all that does is cost you time and money because they have to double handle when they ask you to replace it. Name and shame. Who are the products that people don't want to work with? It's oh. Alibaba, isn't mm. it? Is it stuff bought off Alibaba? <laughs> yeah, online international sites like AliExpress and Alibaba are tempting. Yeah, the price is so good. But just keep in mind, they're not necessarily going to work with our building code. And certainly if they're not familiar to the tradespeople, they'll probably reject them just straight up. Okay. And what is number five of the five biggest mistakes on any renovation project? Number five is you as the investor not being organized and then becoming your own bottleneck within the renovation team. And the way that that happens is you might think that you've got the overall renovation scope planned and you know in your head what you want, but you need to have clarity around the actions that you must take, um, you know, whether that's having the shopping list and buying the fittings for your plumber or understanding your role within the overall power team, whether you are being DIY and hands-on or not. Any task that you need to complete that others are relying on needs to be delivered and on site on time. Otherwise, you're holding up yourself and causing yourself additional cost. And why do people keep making that mistake? Hey, look, I think most investors are also working or have families and they're juggling a lot of different balls in their day to day life. And as I say, the reno, once it starts, swiftly carries on. And if you don't really understand how quickly, for example, a plumber might have two or three stages at that site, they zigzag to site really frequently. They can move on to stage two and three very quickly. And if you're not organized by having fittings on site at the right time, you're actually wasting their time damaging that relationship. And you're also costing yourself delays. Okay. And how do you avoid that? (laughs) What tips do you have to stay organized so that you aren't the bottleneck in that renovation? So for you to understand with your team exactly what role you play with each of them, if your builder is also doubling as a project manager, that's great. But make sure that you know from them well in advance before demo day what you're responsible for and have clarity around that so that your tasks can at least be planned. And if that means, hey, you're in charge of flooring and you're organizing quotes, if you can't get access beforehand, make sure that you are getting them lined up and scheduled to get on site for the quotes on day one and within critical timeline and know those critical timelines so that you keep the the rest of the team moving. And Andrew, you've done a lot of renovations yourself. How many of these five biggest mistakes have you personally done? Uh, I've definitely been the bottleneck of projects. Uh, (laughs) You've been the bottleneck of a business too. I've I've definitely um, bought cheap items. Ever had a run-in with the council not checking? No, no, I haven't done that. No, what about not staying on top of quotes and estimates? No. No. no, no, no. You've never had a leaky shower? I've had leaky showers, but I have been lucky in the sense that, well, sorry, I don't know how lucky it is, that whenever I've done a bathroom, it's been the whole bathroom probably, so I've already accounted for that. And also, have you come up with these five biggest mistakes on the renovation projects? I imagine you've done all five of these yourself. 
<laughs> definitely have, definitely in my earlier days and now uh, just trying to help our investors navigate them without making the same mistakes. But yeah, some of them are very easy to make and it comes down to knowledge and experience really. So top five mistakes on any renovation project. Number one, assuming that you could change one thing in isolation without it impacting other things. Number two, staying on top of those quotes and estimates. Number three is checking with council. Well, people not checking with council. Terrible idea. Number four is going cheap. And number five is you're the bottleneck. You're not organised and you're holding other people up. Hey. Oh, I have a quick bonus if you like. A bonus number six. (laughs) This sounds really simple, but it is so easily forgotten. You need to assign the power account for your property back to your name before demo day. You might be thinking, well, what's the worst that can happen? Well, day four or five, when your electrician and builder are using power tools on site and the mains just completely shuts off, either you have to rush out, find a generator. That's actually not the worst of it. The worst part is that you'll have one really annoyed electrician who has to call the power company once you've now reactivated your account and they have to time precisely when they will be on site to reconnect it with the power company. Super niggly, super costly and doesn't always go to plan. And then you've held up your site. I did that one two weeks ago. Did you? (laughs) I've done it several times too. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get that message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about joining Ilsa's program, the Opus Accelerate program, Real easy way to learn more about that. Pull out your phone. Just Google Opus Accelerate. It's the first thing that comes up. Or I tell you what, I'll drop a link in the show notes. So tab will swap over the cover art. There'll be a link in there. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ebert Knight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most of the property market. Until next time.